0: Hi, my name is Joy Neville. I'm from Limerick City, a proud Limerick woman. You can hear me on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. And I'd love to give a plug to Cleaners Foundation and a proud ambassador of Cleaners. They have put together an unbelievable documentary. You will see that on Virgin Media. Player. please, all I ask is that you watch it. It's called Ireland's Forgotten Families and it's a, a raw exchange of how families can struggle with life-limiting illnesses. And you can really help. So please watch.
1: Coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat.
0: And again, what I've learned in my life that I want to share with others is we're going to have individuals who are going to tell you you can't do something or you won't be able to do something. And that may come from the best place in their heart or come from the worst place in their heart or come from a place of experience, but they, but doesn't make them right. And just because someone can tell you you can't or you won't be able to do something doesn't mean you can't do it. And it's down, it's the choice of the individual. It's down to you. You either take, you can be one of two people, take that advice on board and leave that idea there because you're you're listening to that individual, or you can be the person who has self-belief, puts a really good plan in place, works bloody hard, and does everything they can to achieve that goal. And I always say with a bit of luck, because luck does take part.
1: Yes, welcome back to the show. We have a great guest lined up for you. It's international rugby referee, Joy Neville. She'll be with us in a moment. In the episode, Joy speaks about a recent documentary. It's a two-part documentary called Ireland's Forgotten Families. It's available on Virgin Media, and it examines the work of Cleaners Foundation, a charity offering financial help to families hit by the cost of non-medical care for their sick children. It's an excellent and hard-hitting piece, so please do have a look at this documentary and support Cleaners Foundation. You can find out more about what they do at www.cleaners.ie That's C-L-I-O-N-A-S dot I-E. But without further ado, let's get to the episode with Joy Neville where she talks about refereeing and playing at the very highest level. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings.
2: Today we spoke with Joy Neville, former Ireland Women's Rugby Union International and current IRFU referee. As a player, Neville represented Ireland at both the 2006 and 2010 Women's Rugby World Cups, capturing the first Ireland team to defeat France in that period. After retiring as a player, she took up being a referee. She has taken charge of matches in the Women's Six Nations Championship, the World Rugby Women's Seven Series and the Rugby World Cup, including the 2017 final. Neville has also achieved a number of firsts as a female referee in the men's game, a pro match when she took charge of a 2017-18 fixture between Ulster and the Southern Kings. Wait for the story from that game. This also saw Neville become the first woman to referee a top-level men's rugby Union match in the UK. She's professionally contracted with the IRFU, has been a TMO, and is based in Limerick. Today we spoke about her journey to being a ref from a player what makes an excellent referee, and what the prep and post-game processes look like. We heard about the challenges of being a referee, balance between home and work with travel, and her varied officiating roles. We explored how to counter doubt and mistakes, and her fundraising and giving back work. This one is inspiring, about embracing challenges. Joy Neville, it's been a while. Thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you getting on?
0: oh good dave my pleasure absolutely i don't know how long ago it was but it was involved a rugby ball and uh, a couple of tags if i'm correct
2: a rugby ball has been part of your life for a while now i was kind of chatting to kieran a lot about that um what's what's going on in your world at the moment what's going on
0: well um a lot i suppose uh We've we've seen two years of our lives disappear, haven't we? really, with COVID. Yeah. Certainly, I we we made the most of it here. I've since had a, a baby, baby boy Alfie. He's ten months old, and um, you know, with the the amount of travel that I used to, used to do pre-COVID with the sevens and the 15s and uh, took made the most of the opportunity, and and we've we've started a family, and um, I'm, I'm back back into work again, and and, and loving it at the moment.
2: Joy, how, how would you manage to, um, how are you, we spoke about a little bit off air. How are you managing to, to balance it, all that stuff you're doing family and, and your, your rugby world?
0: Well, I think it takes, it takes time. It takes, um, teamwork. It takes support, um, and organization and, uh, time management. I know I alluded to time there a minute ago, but, um, I'm very lucky. Like I've, I've a very supportive family and my wife is, is really wonderful and we sat down um you know it was a very difficult question would I would I go back it was a very difficult one to to answer due to the fact that you you just don't know until you're in it would I would I physically be able to get that f- back that fitness will my body allow me Will I emotionally be able to be away from from Alfie um or would I find it too hard the amount to travel because obviously now I'm back in right 15s but I'm also I'm kind of in in an area where um, I have massive opportunities to go to the Men's World Cup as a TMO. So um, and that brings great challenges. And um one of the, the biggest ones is is, you know, being involved in the, the top game and um about travel. I'm like I'm away a lot now. Um so I think the biggest challenge really to answer your question is is putting a good plan in place in order to make sure that we're we're successful and when we have our downtime that we take that downtime. For our mental health, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. in order to make sure it works,
2: you mentioned travel, and anyone who's had any experience in sport knows, especially pro sport, the highest level, that that is the big sacrifice, really, on family and also yourself. Just for the people maybe that don't know a whole lot about your world, what does the travel schedule look like?
0: Well, we we travel every weekend, so whether I'm um, refereeing in the women's world, uh, the women's Six Nations, or URC. Um, I'm Jean- TMOing in in Champions and Challenge Cup, um, and then I may be on the line for URC um, as well. So so that's from a fif- from yeah from a 15s like on field officiating perspective. The TMOing then um, on an in- on the international stage would involve the Men's Six Nations. Um, the summer internationals have been announced, so that'll see me being away for three weeks so um, i go to dubai we all go to dubai for a conference um in the lead up to the uh, men's summer international so it's five days in dubai and then i'll fly on to the team a few of us will fly on to, to south africa so i'm a tmo for south africa wales and then the day after that game i fly to australia to be the tmo the following weekend for australia england so um so that's three weeks, and then obviously the Women's World Cup was were, was postponed a year because of COVID, and that goes ahead in October to arrive the first of October, and that and leave on the the fourteenth of November. So that's six weeks away from home, if selected, which we will find out now next month. But um, we've we've already had our family discussions. Will you come over some more with with Alfie? But. It's just too hard, lads. Like he's he's won one a bit, and you you asked about like how do we survive? You know, family, the support, like having that support network and being able to lean on others isn't like massive. And if I were to add, like if someone was to come over with Alfie, if if selected, um, I'd I'd only be comfortable if if someone someone else would from the family would would come with her, and but that's a big ask. So either that happens or FaceTime will um will be a big part of my life. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you're definitely getting the air miles up anyway. So we don't envy some of them flights and some of that travel too much. But at the worst places though, Dubai no, could be nice. Yeah, nice, and it's South African West. That would be very interesting. Looking into TMO and life as a referee and um, even a linesperson. If you're if you're preparing for a game when you're an Irish international, you obviously have training camps. You obviously have have a lot of preparation that goes into it. How much do you prepare for games in comparison as a referee or linesman or a linesperson or a TMO? Uh, versus when you were an Irish international or even just a rugby player.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question, actually, here on. Um there the, the the amount of work that, that is necessary is far, far more than that as, as a player. Like obviously as a player, you you know, physically your physical pillars are extremely important. And that would mainly be power, power and speed, um, and strength. Um and then from a from an officiating point of view, let's go like referee. You know, each referee has different approaches. Now, my mindset would be preparation is massive. I always want to come out of a game knowing, with no regrets, knowing that I've done everything possible in order to, to be proud of, of my involvement, regardless of the outcome, you know. But from a refereeing perspective, like, I would over-prepare. Um, I know that comes with the health warning as far as um, going with pre preconceived ideas on teams or on... on or, or on um, tactics or on individuals, but um, so I think that's that's a a balance that you need to to have as an individual. But i I probably um I would probably analyze teams their last their past two or three performances so that I'm able to identify trends and possible problematic players so that I'm the main thing for me is that I'm not caught off guard. So whatever whatever is going to happen. I've to a certain degree have prepared for this, um, and that's done me well. And I think part of it is, you know, self belief is massive, and I find that self belief comes from preparation, which aids confidence. You know, it's for me, it's a cycle. Um, and if I can go into a game with with as much confidence, knowing that I've prepared to the max, well, from like that's that's an extra um, elevator from a performance per- perspective. That's probably that's my mentality around it
2: what what does the aftermatch review look like i mean we're always intrigued by feedback and analysis as as a player obviously if you have coaches you have you have journalists you have fans all saying oh she played well or she dropped the ball there she scored that wonderful try when you're when you're touchy or you're refing or you're tmoing what's that like how much of it is from within or how much of it is from maybe external objective people saying, oh, we have to mark her and score her accordingly. What's that look like?
0: Well, that's probably the the, the, the biggest area, um, the biggest area for growth, um, the biggest area for for um, personal growth that you're able to filter through the, be able to, uh, you know, I'm my own worst enemy as far as like, I'm a perfectionist. So pre, pre-baby, I'm a lot more kind to myself post-baby, if that makes sense. I think perspective has hit my life. But... I, I probably would do, dwell on my, the areas that I need improvement, rather than understand where I've done well. I think I think it's a good mindset, but I think I think there's a there's there's a balance, you know, to get to 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 grow and develop. And so, post game, you sit down with your coach, and then you sit down with your 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 assessor, and you have a performance review, and which identifies areas of improvement and, and areas where you've done well. As a player you have your team around you, you make a mistake, they slap you in the back. That were the the, the earlier years. As as the game progressed and technology set in, you were then more accountable for your actions because there was no hiding. But but mistakes were still accepted. What I found, and which I'm really surprised to find from an officiating point of view, is people have this unrealistic expectation that you, you won't make any mistakes. And I think that's quite unfair due to the fact that we are human beings. You cannot concentrate for 80 minutes and not make mistakes. So you're going into an environment whereby you know you're going to be judged unfairly from, from the point of view that you're, you're held at a high, very high standard that just is very difficult to uh, buy by compared to that as a player. Part of that is growth. You know, we are going to make mistakes, but... It's not about um dwelling on on those mistakes. Like, and this is another area that definitely, through the environment that I work in, has aided me in my personal life. And something I always have to remind myself constantly, so that I'm I'm constantly in a good frame of mind to grow and learn is we we as humans, we fear mistakes and again we're human we're going to work in in new environments we're going to have very little knowledge base or in the case that you have you're you're working in, in an area where you have a lot of experience you're going to come across new things and you're going to come across tough learnings but it's about breaking it down and understanding the why in order to minimizing in order to minimize the same mistake happening again and that's just growth and development like every day is is, is a school day as far as I'm concerned and and I've 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 now learned to have that mentality and um, it's a nicer mentality to have and certainly you grow faster and
1: you learn from those experiences much better. I had this conversation recently about mistakes from rugby players versus referees because it's one of them sports that the law is interpreted so well by the officiating staff and then it can be difficult for players to keep up to date because it's evolving but also it's quite complex in terms of breakdown and how it's interpreted from individuals and what type of game it is but you're essentially as a referee um, looking out for mistakes within play against breaks and rules, and you're trying to govern them mistakes. But then if, you're, if you commit a mistake yourself as a referee, it's seen as blasphemous almost. Uh, how could someone make a mistake in this game when your whole thing is to enforce that the game keeps going? When you're in them situations where it doesn't go your way with a decision and you're facing maybe some some abuse or maybe some disregard from players in terms of respect levels drop a little bit, a mistake has occurred. What do you do to overcome that situation and get yourself back in? Because as a player, you can think about the next ball and you can think about the next contact in rugby, but as a referee, is it more difficult and do you feel more isolated where you can't slot back into that team?
0: Well, this is again, this is a, it's a turf um, learning um, grounds, and, and that's it's 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 very difficult. You know, when you make a mistake, generally. Um, it's misreads. It wouldn't be law like we we know our law, and and the reason why the game of rugby is so difficult um, to 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 referee or officiate in is is because it's such a great it's a, such a grey game. It's down to the inter- interpretation of the referee. If some referees from the southern hemisphere who who expect a, a poacher, a jacker, to be on the ball that a little bit longer before they get rewarded, versus some other referees from the same um, um, hemisphere or another hemisphere you know, given that penalty a little, a little bit sharper. So it's 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 you know, it's down to the interpretation of of the referee. but what I have learned, um, and this is part of my growing is the to have the ability to be able to to block it out. like you make a mistake, you know you've made a mistake. you dwell on that and it'll affect the next breakdown. And what will happen is another mistake will will jump on the back of the initial mistake and and before you know it, 20 minutes into the game, you're you're constantly thinking about scrums because you know it's a difficult area. And instead of concentrating the here and now, you're after, you know, messing up the scrums because they're being they're being tough, but also because you're so focused on those scrums, please let them not be another knock on that you're you've you you've taken your focus from from those pictures at the breakdown and inaccuracy comes in at all levels. So um, and that's happened to me. I've wanted the ground to open up, it's been a difficult learning. Um spoke to Mr. GC and um, I always said it to George, I would love to have the, 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 the head of experience on his shoulders. Because at some point you go into a game, being so comfortable that you've gone through so much. Um and being, you know, you've you've learned from those so, so many different um difficult and great moments that um it becomes second nature to you. And and that's what happens. You just you, you learn from those moments, but certainly you just can't dwell. On anything that's happened a few seconds prior or else it's at the detriment of of the rest of the play.
2: What makes a great referee from a good referee? I mean, we've, George, I watched a match with him at Toman Park and he was I was blown away when he was just pointing out and talking about the, the cardio and you've obviously mentioned it, the fitness required to be an elite ref, but also if you're traveling, probably probably there's language and also maybe even just keeping the focus, keeping the sharp mind to make those those in-game decisions, but making that jump because you've really your career's really accelerated uh, and you're 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 doing lots of different things in the officiating space so what's it all about that helps you excel what are what are those pieces that make a, success, a well, successful officiator
0: you see some referees and they make it about themselves and it should never be about the the referee from a from um I think I have empathy with the players as a past player. I have a, a, The benefit for me is the fact that I have an understanding of what the players are trying to achieve. I have a better understanding of the emotions that they may be going through. And I think what makes an excellent referee is the ability to be able to, the ability to man, man management, woman management. Um, it's not using one form of management. It's the ability to understand what's the best type of management to use for that certain individual to get the best outcome. Um, it's the most difficult area um, but it's like personal development it's the, the, the ability to be able to um, understand what approach is the best for that person how how will they react best to that um, and how to get them on site. Now that there's this is multi-layered like you know it you go into that game and you're an actor from minute one to minute 20 and you you lose complete credibility. So, the physical pillars comes in massively because if you're not phys- if you're not physically able, if you're not fit enough to be able to break down to identify the first offence, and you arrive there late, you see the second offence is out the window. So that's one element of it. Um, positioning, you know, being able to, to be nimble, to be able to nimble, to be able to to not get in the way, um, and to be able to manage those players, um, not make it about yourself um and have a bit of humor be human with those players because in the end of the day (laughs) we are all human and sometimes I think that's the problem like there was a massive stigma involved with refereeing when certainly I I had a stigma against it when I first started the reason why I didn't want to do it is because why would you want to become a referee you know um and I think that's changed slightly and and thankfully and I think it needed to but you know we're seen as robots we're seen as you know non-human and can't have a sense of humor and and that's Far from the truth.
2: What What's helped it change? Because we were saying as well, why would anyone want to be a referee? I mean, my son now is going to be starting under sixes soccer soon, and they'll be refereeing a couple of years from now, and we're kind of going, who'd want to ref games? It's it's so hard, because you're just abused and heckled, and it's no one's ever happy with you. So why did you decide to go into it, and what was it about that that appealed to you?
0: The answer, I wouldn't have been able... I wouldn't have had at the the beginning that I have now is, is that it's the challenge. It's, it's such a challenging role. Um, and it's the, um, the reward afterwards when, you know, you know, when you've done a good job, when all 30 players are, are, are smiling at the end of the game, even though, even though it's, it's a close game to the very end to the death. Um, it's, it's the harsh learnings. It's the, the personal development through those, those environments and, like I've I've had such difficult moments in my career. But what I've learned, thankfully, is, is the fact that I need to be reflective, not reactive. I need to learn from those those environments and um to get the best outcomes for myself. And I, I, I what I the way I describe it is provide yourself with ammunition so that you can equip yourself for dealing with something just as similar. What I've gone come across in in my line of work, I will come across. So feeling something similar off off the pitch but I now know how I need to react because it may, the, the situation may be very different but the reactions you know, learning learning from being reflective, the reaction can work just as good and I use humour an awful lot but you talk about how people can react in the stigma, I remember like one of my mantras is work hard, be kind, I remember I was refing in in Pro 14, Ulster versus Southern Kings and um what I love about the game of rugby is that all the organisations, they speak very highly about minimising player retaliation. You know, we have a reputation and we need to protect us as an officiating group. And uh, it was about 15 minutes into the game and I was reffing Southern Kings and this giant of a man, seven foot, so well, six foot eight. His name was Ruan. Now, I didn't know his name at the time. And I penalized him um, for side entry. And he immediately threw his hands up in the air and and he started laughing. And I said, right, you know, I've been here before. I've had a similar story where I walked into the change room and Donnybrook refereeing young men and they were started laughing. They never had a female refereeing before and I did nothing. And I walked out of that change room after warmed up knowing that I wouldn't get respect from the minute I blew that whistle and I was pissed off at myself that I didn't have enough respect for myself to do something with, with that. Not the wrong thing because I'm not perfect. You know, when you're in about in a very difficult situation and I say reflect versus react and you react in the wrong way. And not only are you annoyed about what was said or what was done to you, but now you're more annoyed about the way you've reacted, which you made a complete idiot of yourself. So anyway, so, so I knew I, I knew from that day in Donnybrook, you have to have respect for yourself because if I did nothing with about Ruan on that pitch, it would have been a bloody long day, 60 minutes, and all the rest of the lads would have seen, but she did she didn't have enough respect for herself to do something about that. And they would have constantly knocked on that door and and you know pushed my buttons. So I called the captain and I called this giant of a man. And I didn't even look at the captain and I said to the, to Ruan, I said, eight, I said. I provide you respect since the moment I blew the the, um, the, the whistle, and all I expect in um, in return is the same back. And he apologised immediately, and I and you know I was like, okay, thanks, back you go, penalty against you for side entry. And the the rest of the sixty minutes, if if we stopped at once, like for scrums or injury or lineouts or whatever. Have water breaks. If he came up to me once, he came up to me about a thousand times, and every opportunity, I'm resetting, really really At the end, I was actually, Do you know, we're actually fine, you know. And at the end of the game, he came up to me, and they're all in a line, and there was an awful lot of ca- like attention around the fact that it was the first time that a female had refereed in the in the professional game. And yeah, there was a lot of cameras around, and they were all lined up. And Ruan came up to me, and he put his hand out, and he said, "Can I just say?" You're just one of the best referees that I've had. And I said, go away, you rogue. He said, you're just saying that now because you gave me a hard time, you know, at the start of the game. And he goes, no, no, honestly, Joy. He said, can I, can I? And I said, can you what? And he said, can I just give you a hug? And Darren Cave was behind me and there was loads of camera attention. And I said to myself, so not often you see George Clancy, Johnny Mer- Lacey, or any of the rest of the, the male referees <laughs> hugging the players here, you know. <laughs> but he was being so genuine. Like I went with it, but I knew that there was going to be the most awkward photo of me hugging him, and I have it. I have I have a, a picture captured of him us shaking hands and the awkward moment of the hug, and and I love it because, it you know it's very true. It's work hard, be kind. And I didn't know what his name was, and I refereed him three or four times since, and he was captain since, and the relationship that I had with him was second to none. Like utmost respect and and reactive in the in the right manner to me, um, whenever I, I asked you know for a a trend change or for for the team to improve in a certain area and you know I I love that mantra and I certainly it's, there's there's a lot of truth to it.
1: It's brilliant because you see it with rugby versus other sports as well that there's an onus on the players to create a relationship because it it's beneficial for their team to have a good relationship with the referee. But across the sport, you see there's a level of respect that's carried through from club level, from schoolboy level or just person level, all the way through to adults. And I'm just wondering, why do you think that doesn't exist in maybe sports like football, where the referee is often isolated when it's a good game in rugby? It's often the two teams have played well, but the referee is given that platform for the game to have developed In football, it's generally got to do with the individuals on each team or a team versus a team and the referee just staying out of it. It's very different and the respect levels are quite different. Would you be able to point to why it is or is it there's certain aspects of rugby and the game that promote a good relationship between the players and the referee?
0: Well, I think it's a culture, isn't it? Like it's it's the, the societal norm in soccer, which I really don't dislike, is where you have players who get paid millions and... They react in, in, um, in such a um, disrespectful manner towards the officials and they do that openly. And for me, they're massive role models for young children and they have a massive responsibility and the organisations don't really command that respect. You know, I think it's down to organisations that need to drive this. If they have um, strict penalties in place, well, that may minimise, you know, that, that player behaviour and it protects the officials as well. Um, and teaches our young people good lessons. So, what I just said about the organisations is they, they 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 stand highly, um, and they withhold really high standards in in getting player respect um, and minimizing player retaliation. Thankfully, and I suppose we've learned as well as, as a team of officials that if we if you know we have a responsibility to each other as well because if we condone that behavior it'll just have a knock on effect for our for our colleagues. So thankfully each, you know, we've 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 dealt with it. Um and and still to this day we have to pull it back. Like the last six nations, there was a couple of instances or um in a couple of different competitions um across the waters or here. Um and you just have to pull it back sometimes. Sometimes we need to come together and go this, this and this has happened. Now lads, you know, we need to we need to need we need to stay strong together and, and pull it back. And we have done.
1: Just building on that, just to chunk it up, we see clips and there's often sound bites of rugby games where a referee has had a discussion with a player and it's almost the epitome of expert communication between someone who, alternative, and someone who's on the receiving end, but both levels of respect stay the same and it's often goes viral. Everybody loves it, everybody gets on board and watches on YouTube. Do you get communication training or how does it become such an integral part of what you do on the pitch?
0: Great question. We had a guy who came in and, um, he was excellent. He's, he, what his job was, I suppose, to identify different means and methods of communicating, um, and getting the most out of the situation. Like in that situ- scenario that I gave you, um, I went soft hands. I wanted him to understand where I was coming from. You could, again, you hear about the egos, the the, the, the ego states, the child ego, the parent ego but like I could have gone, gone in with adults. Don't you speak to me that way? You know, how dare you, you know, like along those lines and what would I have gained? So he would, he would only got his back up and said, you know, don't you speak to me like that in front of cameras. You're embarrassing me kind of, you know, and, and it would have done the complete opposite to what I was trying to achieve. And that was for him to realize himself that his actions were out of order. And so, um, a lot of it is around communication and, a lot of it is around learning from making errors within communication. Um, and you have the, the, the great referees who will, who will, uh, have good awareness and understand where they could have done better. And you have other referees who don't have such good awareness and repeat those, those mistakes. Um, and you can really, you can, you can, it's easy to pick them out, to be honest, to this day. Um, so I think it's down to mentality. It's down to your, your own mentality in, in being able to identify where you could learn further and develop and grow and your
2: approach towards your mistakes. On your LinkedIn, it says inspirational speaker. We're always interested in role modeling here on the show and with what you've achieved as a player and now as a ref and, you know, as, as a female achieving it at the high level in the males game as well. What is, what is it about what you're doing? You're also doing so much good work for cleaners and Simon Midwest children's art, all these, all, all this, this giving, this giving and serving. What are you, what are you trying, what are you trying to do? What's it, what's it about? Like the, what are the messages you're trying to get across? So that if, if my sister's watching you, or if my daughter's watching you, she's going to say, Oh, you know, I see that. I that's, that's something as a behavior I admire.
0: Well, you make me sound like an angel there now, Dave, and you and me, but no, I'm not. Well, we
2: <laughs> left. We left out the rest. Now,
0: let's just say the most competitive person on the pitch that probably gets people's backs up as a player. And um, well, I suppose I've I what I've learned in only in the last two or three years is the amount that I've learned as an individual, um, and the amount of difficult moments that I've gone through. I always speak about. It's it's mind frame, it's it's a state of mind. It's you, you you're gonna come across more difficult moments in your life than that, um and then than good moments. And it's about the ability to, to always see the positives. Um I remember walking into, into a changing room and uh, out of the changing room getting getting ready to to um to warm up and met by a guy in a, a club blazer after something else that happened prior, I won't even get into it. Um and and he's like, Oh, you're here to ref the thirds? So no, I'm here to ref the first. And he's You'll be able to keep up with the pace of the game. And I said, And again, what I've learned in my life that I want to share with others is we're going to have individuals who are going to tell you you can't do something or you won't be able to do something. And that may come from the best place in their heart or come from the worst place in their heart or come from a place of experience, but they, but doesn't make them right. And just because someone can tell you you can't or you won't be able to do something doesn't mean you can't do it. And it's down—it's the choice of the individual. It's down to you. You either take—you can be one or two people—take that advice on board, and leave that idea there, because you're you're listening to that individual, um, or you can be the person who has self-belief, puts a really good plan in place, works bloody hard, and does everything they can to achieve that goal. And I always say with a bit of luck, because luck does take part to it and you know with all going well you'll achieve that goal the second thing i would love to share through my own experiences is you know i i've reacted wrong i've reacted in the in the um i haven't reacted in the right manner in numerous instances something new will happen to us most days You'll come across a situation that you haven't come across before and we're human. We're going to make mistakes and we're not. We may not react in the right manner all the time. And I have reacted, you know, the worst thing you can do is react in the wrong manner and 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 have regrets thereafter. And I've learned through those experiences that if something happens that never happened to you before, take a breath, reflect, go away and think about if it happens again, what's the best way to react to it? And I always use humor. Um so I could have reacted in the wrong manner to that gentleman. And I know that's down to lack of education. He was an older man. It happened a few times where they never had a female um, officiate. And this will happen in many different environments. And I always talk about the tags and labels. We we, a minority group of us, will always hold on to tags and labels, the societal norm. And I, after speaking to that individual, and I said, no, I'm sure I'll be fine. And I smiled and I, you know, disengaged that conversation, and went out there and I used that as a motivation to go out there and perform the best of my ability. If I can win at least one person over and nine times out of 10, he comes up to me. Um, they, he, They did come up to me and say, wow, when's your next game? You're excellent. And what I always try to prove is, Drop those tags and labels. It's not about the sexuality, it's not about the gender, it's not about the size, it's not about the mental capacity, it's not about the religion, the culture, it's about an individual in an environment doing the job to the best of their ability and to the standard necessary. And they're things that I've learned. And if I can share them and prove, and unfortunately, and that's that's my motivation when I go out doing men male professional games. Um if I can, if I can try to highlight a few things to that minority group, and hopefully get them to think twice before they go up to another female, um, and and say, oh, you'll be able to keep up with the pace of play. Well, that's that's my reward because I do know that if I don't perform above par, that that minority group will always trip it back to my label, whatever they want to bring it back to. Um, and I find that difficult, and I think that's part of my motivation, if that makes sense. And the second layer to your question there is giving back. The game of rugby has given so much, Dave. You know, you you've been in that environment. It's it's a family environment, and I always thought it was from a player perspective, but it's even bigger from an official perspective. And I know George probably touched on it with you, life, but it's massive. You go to the other side of, of of the earth and meet someone for the first time two years prior, and they they welcome you in open arms. It's it's lovely. Um, it, there's a sense of belonging and family. Um, and I've been a part of that that environment for for over a decade, fifteen. 20 years nearly two decades now and so many people have volunteered their time to help me develop since I was young um and I wouldn't be here sat here with the amount of firsts or achievements if I didn't get into the game initially if I didn't have those volunteers um and those those people in in my life um and I suppose it's highlighted the fact that it's it's important to give back and if you have a platform particularly with with charities that you can help bring awareness and did you watch did you did you hear of the cleanest foundations documentary there recently last um thursday it's it's on um virgin media player you should really watch it um and like you know they're they're just one of many charities that like help families with with kids with life-limiting illnesses and you know um i think it's important that we we try to, to to bring that awareness to others in order to because so many families go through so so much hardships and You know, you have to, you have to count your blessings. I know we go through our own stuff, but sometimes to bring it back to, you know, could be an awful lot worse. So,
1: Some excellent messages there. And we've one more question for you. And it's one we ask everyone who comes on the show, Joy. It's what does high performance mean to you?
0: I think high performance is, is your frame of mind through every day. It's not just working in a high performance environment. It's the high performance frame of mind. It's how you, you equip yourself with the tools to deal with difficult moments, either perf- professionally or personally. It's the ability to have self-awareness and in, pers- in order to aid person development and understanding that every day is a learning day. You're, you're, you're not perfect. And um, with every difficult and good moment that you come across, there is there's an opportunity to learn for it further. I, I speak about um, something that's really aided me throughout my whole career has been um, um another mantra i suppose it's it's performance versus selection and you, you you think about performance the two words performance and selection where do you see that in your mind like do you see it as they're equal or are they are they versus is performance more important than selection or is selection more important than performance and for me performance is the means of achieving selection it's it's every performance you know, sometimes as humans, we can oversee the little things, the one percentages, in order to, to achieve the, the overall goal. And when we when we miss those one percentages, that's the whole point. You know, they're the important things to achieve that goal. And I speak a lot about, like, um, platforms. You know, we could have, if, if we're lacking awareness, it's very difficult to understand what platforms we have right in front of us that we could use to prepare ourselves to achieve whatever we put our minds to. Um and i used the women's world cup i knew that my goal was to go and referee that final and knowing that if if i if i didn't referee the group stage as well so if i went straight to the goal instead of working on those those performances and getting to the semis quarter semis and final well then i wouldn't achieve the overall goal and if i didn't achieve the overall goal i wouldn't be selected um you know to 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 get a full time contract with the irfu and i wouldn't and i wouldn't have got my first professional men's game so mm-hmm. It's stripping it right back. Um, it's having the, the, the best frame of mind in order to develop and um, and learn. Um, and and it's using those learnings in everyday life. It's not just in a high performance environment. So you, you can ha- you can have your goal, you can you can you can strip it right back to, to what you need to do or what platforms you can use, but then, it, then it's then you move on to the how how do you do it what elements execution. do you need to bring in how do you execute it
2: joy we really enjoyed that thanks very much thanks very much thanks for joining guys. us today thank you for listening to today's episode of sleep eat perform repeat a story of high performance
1: this was brought to you by Howora, a whole person well-being company founded and run from dublin ireland find out more at how spelled h-a-u-o-r-a life.com Please rate, review, and share the podcast. Some people want
2: it to happen, some wish it would happen, others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.